Father, we thank you, dear God. You're so wonderfully awesome, perfect, and holy. We know that you are truth. God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the wisdom through your spirit to accept the truth and receive the freedom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, so I think it would probably be appropriate to to term Malachi as Malachi's reminder. Malachi uh, in Aramaic literally means my messenger. So Malachi may not even be the actual name of the person who wrote the book. It just means my messenger. So God is saying to his messenger. Uh, before I get started and, and open it up, I, there's a couple of things I want to share with you. So for those who have been coming to the Freedom Center for a while, you know that we've talked about some proper Bible study techniques. We talked about hermeneutics, uh, which is the, uh, the methodology um, of studying scripture of being able to extrapolate information out of text, you know, biblical exegesis. We talked about some of the things that you do. Uh, one of those things uh, inside of that whole methodology and that theory is uh, the law of first mention. So when you see something mentioned in the Bible the first time, and this mostly pertains to the, to the book of Genesis, the beginning, when you see something mentioned, how it's presented, it carries that same value, that same meaning, that same intent throughout scriptures. That's important to hold on to. When you know how to study scripture, when you know how to study the Bible, then a lot of the things that you're exposed to uh, after that allows you to go back and research and study it properly because you know how to filter through you know, the appropriate kinds of information that you're exposed to. Um, now, I will say that it probably, well, not probably, it should not be necessary that I have to teach on Malachi at all. Because the fact is, we are not under the law. And that really should be enough said. Um, we did a series entitled, You Have to Read the Fine Print. And that series addressed the law aspect that Paul did. And we actually came right behind it and did a series entitled, God, Men, Origins, Paul is Wolverine, which was really just a journey through the book of Galatians. And, and those things are important to understand, and I, I only refer to them mostly for the listening audience on the internet so that they can get the picture of the law. Most of the people that attend the Freedom Center regularly already understand the dynamic that we are not under law but under grace. Um, if you look at the concept as Paul dealt with it very briefly, turn to Colossians, the second chapter. So give me an opportunity to kind of share some things with you and then we'll dwell, delve right in uh, to Malachi, the third chapter. So Colossians, the second chapter. And I'm going to start reading at verse 16. Okay, so it says, So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you die with Christ from the basic principles of the world, 
Why, as though living in the world, do you subject, subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Now, lest I don't get to Malachi at all, suffice it to say that Paul again is getting people to understand the laws, regulation, and commandments that people were trying to live their life by don't matter. They're not going to get you what you're after. I didn't say it. I know people probably are still tripping over the fact that I say that we're not subject to the Ten Commandments, but we're not. <laughs> it's not just me. I mean, we're just reading. So you have to kind of take that into consideration. So when we get ready to deal with Malachi, you, you must understand that I'm teaching about the tithe. We're going through, we dealt with the Levitical tithe, the Levites tithe of the tithe, the festival tithe, the poor tithe, to get people to understand that what you consider to be the tithe today is not even a tithe. Let alone that we're not even subject to it. I mean, that, again, the conversation should have been two seconds long. But since people's understanding concerning the law is so porous, I need to be able to show you that what you consider to be the tithes really is not. Okay. Now, um, we started out this series by me teaching you how to identify the audience. Right? And it was important, and it's important with any, any passage of text, you need to know who God is talking to. And one of the examples I always give, very simple, is when you go to Genesis, the third chapter, when Adam and Eve uh, partook of the fruit, and then God kind of called the serpent, Adam and Eve, to the celestial carpet, as it were, and he starts handing out, you know, his punishment. And he says to the woman, you shall have pain in childbearing. Right? And we all can read that, of course. Now, we have no problem understanding that the person he was talking to was Eve, the woman. That's correct. And no one argued that. It makes sense. I mean, Adam should not have been threatened that he's going to have pain in childbearing. God wasn't talking to him. And Scripture really has not changed. Right? The same principles exist. You need to know who God is talking to because God, if God is not talking to you, eh, it doesn't really pertain to you. So, let's go to Malachi, the first chapter. This is where we're going to start. And I want you to see this. Malachi, chapter 1, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I, okay, I'll read it again. I'll read it again. So, the, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. He is talking to... Israel. I mean, you, you have to know that it's, it's, a, it's a physical people. They're real people, the nation of Israel. This is who God is talking to. Right? You know, everyone knows Abraham, I mean, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. <laughs> right? And so his nation is who God's addressing here. Now, we learn a lot of things from watching Israel 
as they kind of move through Scripture. And we see some things that they did wonderfully, and we see some things that they didn't do so wonderfully. And so Malachi is written uh, at about 500 B.C. or so, which makes sense because, you know, there's about 400 and something years, give or take 2550, uh, where God removed his voice from the earth. And that's about the time, you know, Malachi was written. And so, and it was written because the Israelites were once again in misbehave mode. Right? They were not adhering to the things that God had given them commandments to do. And so this is why this is written. And so God said, the burden of the word, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau... Uh, Jacob's brother said to the Lord, Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. And so God said, Wait a minute, I chose you. You're the ones that I chose. What do you mean I haven't loved you? Now this is the thing. Now keep in mind, God's having this conversation with Israel. Now I'm not going to go through every single verse. You're going to have to read some on your own, but we're definitely going to identify the audience and kind of what the tenor and tone of the entire book of Malachi is. And so God essentially is saying, you, you don't love me. And the Israelites saying, well, you don't love me back. So they have this conversation. And so look down here, and I want you to kind of see a plan that God uh, begins to talk about in previous times through previous prophets. Now God has, has a plan that his name will be known throughout the entire world. Right? So he, he chooses Israel. Know the backdrop. He chooses Israel so that Israel will carry the word of his name to all the nations of the earth. Okay? So skip down here to verse 5. He says, your eyes shall see and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. Now the border of Israel, the physical geographical location that Israel resides in. So again, I want to ensure that we understand that the book of Malachi is written specifically to Israel. And he's letting them know that now once you get what I'm saying inside of you, you'll realize that beyond where you physically reside, my name's going to be magnified. Right? Yeah, important to understand. Okay, and then I continue to read verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? This is God speaking. And if I'm a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts, to you priest who despise my name. Who, priest? Wait a minute, look up. Okay. Who is he talking to here? He's talking to the priest. Now listen, this is not the priest that, in a sense today, where, you know, we all preached of our, our homes. And we dealt with that on last week about, you know, how that changed. But we're talking about to the same priest that we mentioned already that come from the lineage of Aaron. Right? Remember, every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. So these are the ones who never pay tithes. Correct? They only receive the best of the best from the Levites and the Levites get it all from the children of Israel who were required to tithe. Now remember 
this is, you know, we're talking about connecting the dots here. Those who were doing this were all uh, landowners who planted seed, right? If you planted the seed, harvested the seed, you're required to give a tip. The fruit of the trees, um, for those who own animals, if you own a herd, you shepherded a herd, and you had 10 or more animals, you were required to give the 10th one, no matter the state. Remember, if it's old Stumpy, then old Stumpy is on his way, on his way to the Levites. <laughs> all right, I mean, that's just, that's what the word said. So keep, you know, keep all these things in mind, right? So if you're listening on the internet and you, and this is the first thing that you listen to, because you heard we were dealing with the tithe monster, I encourage you to go back to listen to parts one through five because it really builds the knowledge base and you understand exactly what the tithe really pertains to. Okay, so, so God is essentially saying, look, I've got problems with you, and not only the nation of Israel, but to you pre-specifically. Now remember how this worked. The priests received the best of the best. Remember that. Okay, now we talked about the plan, right? So let's go to the 11th verse. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Everyone get that. Everyone see that. Everyone hear that. So God's plan is that the Gentiles will know his name. If, if no one here in the building and no one listening was born Jewish, then as far as the Bible is concerned and referring to, you're Gentile. Right? Which is another reason why the law never pertains to you. Because the law was written for the Israelites, not written for Gentiles. Gentiles only came to know God through faith. There was no law. Okay. So, but, but put your finger there. Let's go to Colossians, the first chapter, verse 27. Because right, I, want, I want to expand something for you and kind of show you how this all works so we can connect the dots. Okay, so Paul was the apostle given to the Gentiles. Now, what was not known was the how. The what was always known. Even in Malachi, God says very plainly, my name shall be known amongst the Gentiles. Correct? Verse 27. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So now the how is revealed. The what is that God's name will be known among the Gentiles. How is that going to be accomplished? Through Christ. So Paul is saying, listen, I know the mystery. The mystery is that the Gentiles will know God, the Father, through his Son, Jesus the Christ. That's important to understand because Paul also understood that his ministry was for the Gentiles and that the law 
never pertained to them, nor would it. So his presentation of God in Christ was specifically designed for the Gentiles to understand their path to God was through faith. Now, now why would you say that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Technically, you didn't ask, but I know you were going to. Go to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. And I'm going to get to Malachi 3. Just relax with a good part. Matthew, 22nd chapter. Uh, verse, let's start at verse 34. Matthew 27, and we'll do verse 34. It says, okay. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he, he being Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang, look, all the law and the prophets. Now, the entirety of the law is summed up in two things. Now, you take a look at the Ten Commandments, for instance, which we use as a picture of the entire law. Although we understand there are many more laws, right? Somewhere, you know, 614, 620, something along those lines. So, the first five commandments deal with your love to God. Second five commandments deal with your love to one another. So, Jesus sums it up this way. He says... The law, all the law, is about loving God and loving people. Right? Now, I, of course, I have taught that, well, you know what, let me just not even, let's just turn there. Go to Matthew 5, 16. Right? And we'll connect these two dots real quick. Matthew 5, 16. this way and then we'll actually go to John 3.16 so Jesus says I didn't come to destroy the law but to fulfill it right and so I've taught that the law has done and Paul taught not my revelation Paul's revelation I can't revelate Paul's revelation that the law um was to bring people to an understanding of how sinful they were. So, when you saw the law, you realized how much you needed God. And how much you could not do it on your own. It was just too overwhelming to do. So Jesus came, and he fulfilled all the requirements of the law. Now, when you, when you think about it, because Jesus viewed the law through love love God love your neighbor his fulfillment of the law 
can only be done through one thing. Love. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the fulfillment of the law came through God's love. Right now this is a backdrop and important to understand with regards to what Malachi is about to speak to them about. Because what they're seeing is a very small picture. Remember, the revelation of the mystery wasn't given to them. Paul, Paul received it. Paul looks back and says, even then, that's the Christ. It's speaking about the Christ. Okay. Now let's flip back over to Malachi. Flip back over to Malachi. Verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering. My name shall be great among the nations, said the Lord, Lord of hosts. Second chapter, verse 1. And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. Who's the audience? Now, when has he hit Christians? Right? Any, have we seen Christians anywhere? No, no, not, not yet. We ain't seen Christians. No believers, no cross followers. N none of that. Right? Jesus freaks, none of any name. You got them. Okay. Let's go down to verse 12. It says, May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man that does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So the tents of Jacob is what I wanted to underline here, and I say I'm not going to read all four chapters for you, but the tents of Jacob, again, refer to the physical residence, the geographical place that they are in. So I'm doing this to make sure that everyone understands who the audience is. Malachi is addressed to the children of Israel, and to this point, to the priest specifically. So, the blacksmith, or the carpenter, or the tailor, because those were all occupations that existed in Israel, have they been addressed at all? Forget us. Not even all the nation of Israel is addressed. At some points of this message in Malachi, he's speaking only to the priest. That doesn't even include all of the Levites. He's just talking to those who are of Aaron's lineage. And again, identifying the audience puts us in the correct place in researching and studying scripture because we understand who God is talking to and what God is saying. Let's come down and pick up at chapter 3. And then we're going to spend the rest of the time here in this chapter. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? 
for he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. Who's he talking to? Sons of Levi. Right? Because the issue he has is with the Levites and the priests specifically. Malachi, third chapter. Who's the audience? Sons of Levi. Sons of Levi. And purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now I told you that Israel as a whole had gotten into misbehave mode. The Levites were off the chain and the priest had no chain. I mean, this is, this is where we are in the text. Verse 4, Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old. Now remember, the commandments that were given initially, we went over this in the other parts. The commandment to tithe. Right? So each a, a landowner who planted seed was required for three tithes. They had to give the Levitical tithe, they had to give the festival tithe, which they consumed, and they had to give the poor tithe, right? So when he says, as in the days of old, as in former years, God is referring back to the word that he had already given them. He, that's why we call it Malachi's reminder. This isn't new. He's already told them they should tithe, and they were, it was great. But you know how stuff is, especially when you're dealing with rules, regulation, and laws, it gets old. Sometimes you feel like it, sometimes you don't. And so Israel as a whole got to the place where the law is like, man, look, I, I, ain't, I can't do it. And that, that's kind of where they had gotten to. He says, I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, and those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans. Now, please understand, listen, the people who were commanded to give and those who were to receive the giving is who God is defending. Right? Now, remember... The tithe given to the, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the tithe given to the Levites, part of that was to be utilized for the poor tithe in the third year and the sixth year. Against those who turn away an alien because they did not fear me, said the Lord of hosts. Now, he, he named, we already dealt with all this right in the poor tithe. Now, verse 6, for I am the Lord that do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Now, who is he talking to? Oh, sons of Jacob. Now, interesting enough, God refers, when God, God is essentially accusing them of their wrongdoing here, and he refers to them as sons of Jacob. In the beginning, he referred to them as Israel. Israel was the name, <laughs> you see it, right? You guys are too smart. So, Jacob is the name that was about trickery and deceit. You know, Jacob deceived his brother Esau, right? And to change the name was indicative of the new nature. Israel is what God started out addressing. By the time we get to the third chapter, he, back, he, he did not come back out of Jacob. <laughs> right? That's not a, listen, don't, theologians, don't be sending me no emails. 
I'm simply just trying to make the point that he is dealing physically with the natural descendants of Jacob. Okay? Not spiritual descendants. Now, we are spiritual descendants of Jacob. Right? I mean, we, we do inherit the blessings of Abraham. And next week, I'm going to get in on Abraham's tithe. Or it's really technically Abram's tithe. And I'll get into that for all the really smart, hyped-up people that want to tell me, it's the fun and loud! Whatever. Okay. Verse 7. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances, and you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And tithes and offerings. You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour, you, pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now I'm going to stop there, because quite naturally we need to deal with a couple of things, because this is the heart of the tide monster. Okay. When we look at verse 8, When God says, will a man rob God? This is a continuation of what he's been addressing with Israel, the Levites, and the priests. Right? Because you, you start at verse 8 and you're like, will a man rob God? It doesn't, it doesn't start there. So we started at the beginning so that we can have full context. Okay? Now here's the key. I need to ask a question and then I'm going to circle back around to answer the question. Are we blessed right now? Think about that. Think about what I just said. Are we blessed right now? It's important. You'll see. Okay. Verse 8. Now, when you look at this, he says, in what way have we robbed you? It says in tithes and offering. Tithes is T-I-T-H-E-S. Everybody have that in their Bible? Okay. In the English language, when you're dealing with nouns, and you want, to show, you want to show plurality, what do you do to like a word like car? If you have more than one car, you add an S. So it says, you have robbed me in tithes. In tithes. More than one. But the way it's presented today is that you pay a tithe, singular. Like 10% of your gross, and let me forget gross, right? 10% of your gross earnings is the tithe that's referred to, right? Because they read that. They go, see, you got you to rob me in tithes, not realizing that the scripture is referring to the three tithes that were given. And God's accusation is that the Levitical tithe, the festival tithe, the poor tithe, you're not doing now, I chose not to list the offerings. There are about 30 offerings. Man, seriously. Right? I know some of you probably want to listen in the drink offering, but I ain't getting into that. I got into that last week, and I don't want to deal with any more emails. <laughs> but, uh, but just suffice it to say that we, we don't have the right to change Scripture to make it fit what we want it to fit. The Scripture says you robbed me in tithes and offering, and it's plural, 
as it should be because we've already pointed out there were at least four times. So when, when someone gets up to read and go, well, you robbed me in tithes and offering, and you are, they're, they're telling you you got to pay one tithe, <laughs> something's wrong. All right. It says here, you are cursed with a curse. Um, okay, let's go to Galatians, the third chapter, and take a look at this curse with a curse. Galatians, the third chapter. And I'm going to start reading in verse 12. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. There is no curse on the believer today. There is no curse on the believer today. Being a believer means that you have faith, you have the faith, and have accepted that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, was buried, rose on the third day, ascended, and sits on the right hand of the Father. He is your Lord and your Savior. And by that alone, you cannot be cursed. Because every curse that would come upon you, he took. This curse does not pertain to believers. You just read it for yourself. So for those who are listening who feel as though if they don't tithe, yeah, that they're going to be cursed, and then they somehow or another, right, struggling financially, which many people are, especially in today's economic climate, they don't pay their tithe, their 10% of their gross earning, which is not a tithe, and then they get another bill, or they get a repossession notice in the mail. That's not being cursed. That means you're dealing with the consequences of poor financial management. <laughs> if you don't pay your bills, people are going to ask for their money. It's not a curse. I mean, that's, you know, that's, you know, and because people, you know, especially those who perpetrate this sort of perversion of scripture upon people, you know, they, they utilize, oh, oh, you, yeah, you need help from the church because you're not tithing. No. They need help from the church because they have more bills than income. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't work that way. All right, so let's continue to read. It says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. What whole nation? You have robbed me, even this whole nation. That means you have robbed me, and you have robbed this nation. What nation? The poor in Israel. Because you're not tithing properly, I can't feed my poor. We dealt with the poor tithe last week. Who, who makes up the poor? 
widows, orphans, strangers, and some Levites were also poor. And we talked about that. And so this is what God is saying. And that you're robbing me. Now Jesus comes back and says, what you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto me. What is God saying? The same thing he said then, Jesus was saying, which is, you robbed me. Well, why have you robbed me? Because you robbed the poor. You see the connection? You see God connecting the dots here? Remember, the entirety of the law. Love God and love one another. Okay. He says, bring, bring all the tithes, plural, into the storehouse. I, I don't have time to deal with the storehouse. I, I, suffice it to say, I know that people want to say that the local church is the storehouse. There, it is not. Furthermore, if you wanted to take it and try to make it spiritual, the storehouse was a physical location that stored crops and grain. Joseph created a storehouse for Pharaoh in Egypt. It's a physical place. Now, no one wants to take that storehouse, meaning the local church. Just be, just be picking stuff up. You can't do that. You can't do scripture like that. And I'm going to show you even the worst travesty in scripture. And I chose not to deal with the storehouse because of time. And I want to be able to deal with the next piece of this. Which is that there may be food in my house. There may be food. We've talked about this. The tithe was always food. Crops and animals. The tithe was always food. If you're too far away from Jerusalem, change it into silver, get to Jerusalem, change it back. So you can get your eat on. Not my words, we read, right? Always food. And try me now in this, says Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Let's deal with that. Because this is at the crux of the issue. Now this is what I, I see and what I believe is part of the problem here and why people are so easily manipulated when it comes to money. Now listen, I say that, I don't mean to offend, I too have been manipulated. I've been there. I, I have been there. Uh, my family and I have, have come through that process. Um, this particular portion I just read, and we're going we're gonna to really flesh this out, it really caters to people who are seeking after blessings. See, because the belief is that if you're seeking after blessings, and God is withholding blessings until you give a tithe, 10% of your income, then quite naturally, to get to your end goal, which is a blessing, you, you see a logical path. I give 10%, I get the blessing. All right. Now, I thought back to this, it's not even kind of funny, but you'll probably laugh. As a four-year-old, I knew that was poor theology. See, because as a four-year-old, I put five cents in a gumball machine, I turn it, and a gumball come out. But what you're telling me is that's who God is. I put 10% in and I get what I want out. No. All right, so let's, let's, let, me, let me break down all of the 10th 
verse. Okay. Um, Luke, the 12th chapter. Let's go there. We'll go to, we'll go to verse uh, 23. Um, Luke 12, 22. Then he said to the disciples, Therefore I say to you, I do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them, of how much more value are you than the birds? Now, the storehouse, in this context, is referred to as a storage place for food. What storehouse is? New Testament context. Okay. I know that some people need some more, more here, so let's go to... Um, the windows of heaven, the windows of heaven piece, which is kind of the, the blessing chasers. This is where those who are looking after blessings are really gotten. Okay, now I started out by saying that in hermeneutics, which is a theory and methodology of studying scriptural text, that there is a law in there called the law of first mention, and the law of first mention states that how something is initially presented, its value and its meaning and its substance carries forward as you see it in other parts of Scripture, right? So let's turn to Genesis, the seventh chapter. Now I'm going to ask that you remain in your seats once we read this together. Because i got a feeling some of you are going to want to come out your seats. Okay? If you're listening to this on your iPod on the way to work, you might want to pause it to your arrive at your destination. All right, Genesis, the 7th chapter, and we're going to start at verse 10. And it says, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was on the earth forty days, and 40 nights. Hold your finger there. Go to the 8th chapter. Verse 1 says, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped. And the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. And the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. The first mention of windows of heaven pertained to rain. The second mention of windows of heaven pertained to rain. And in Malachi, the windows of heaven refer to rain. Understand who he was talking to. Bring all the food into my storehouse. Who was he talking to? Those who grew the seed out of the ground. Why would he promise them that he would bring rain? Because they had gotten so far away from his laws 
that they forgot that he said in the sixth year I'll bless you so much that you'll have enough to last you until the harvest of the ninth year so he had to remind them that I control the rain and I'll open up the windows of heaven and there'll be so much you won't even have enough to receive what I'm bringing for you Now, let's go to, and let me, I know some are going to accept this. I understand that. And like I said, I have been there. I understand what you're going through. I know the hurt. I know the shame of when, when you realize someone has been taking advantage of you. I know what that's like. Allow the Spirit of God to release you. I ask that you do these two things before we proceed. Number one, thank God for showing you the truth. And number two, forgive every person that has ever taught in error the tithe. Let's go to Ephesians, the first chapter. Let me show you something. Ephesians, the first chapter. I want, I want to read verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So, number one, you realize that it says has, meaning past tense. We've already been blessed. So to seek after blessings now doesn't make any sense when you already have been blessed. And that's what happens with people in Malachi 3.10. I, I want the windows of heaven blessing. You want it to rain? Just wait. It's a natural cycle. And furthermore, because it's, it's, a, it's a blessing that they're seeking after, they're thinking that they must perform. Allow me to free you. God is not interested in your performance. There was but one performance on earth that interested God. And the man who performed it was Jesus. Every other performance would fail in comparison. God's love covers our failures. There is nothing that you can do and nothing I can do to get God to love me any more or any less. His love has nothing to do with me. And the blessings that he has given has nothing to do with my performance. We have, you just read Ephesians 1.3, those blessings we receive in Christ. Our faith in Christ. That's why we're blessed. Not because I'm giving or sowing a seed. You're not sowing a seed. Look, if you believe in the ministry, if you believe in the Freedom Center, by all means, look, there's an offering back, uh, basket right there. Go drop some money in it. We got bills to pay. But you're not sowing a seed. You're not appropriating. Your, your money and your faith are not synonymous. It is your faith alone that moves the heart of God. Not your pocketbook. Some perhaps are still not convinced. I've not done a thorough enough job. I understand. Second Peter, the first chapter, please. 
Second Peter, first chapter, and the oh, excuse me, Second Peter, first chapter, third verse. It says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, who according oh, excuse me, First Peter." As his, oh, let me read, let me start at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and, our Jesus, and of Jesus, our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. He has given to us all things. What blessings are you chasing after? Ephesians 1, 3, every spiritual blessing has been given in Christ. All things pertaining to godliness, 2 Peter 1 and 3, has been given in Christ. And I'm going to teach a series at some point this year, because this year is a year of focus first on the Holy Spirit, to get you to understand that it's a waste of energy and time seeking after God to bless you. I want to challenge your theology. That you don't have to seek after God to bless you as a believer. That every blessing in the heavenly realm has already been given to you in Christ Jesus. So that begs the question, how well do you know Christ? Alright, let me finish this up in Malachi. Verse 11 because this is part of that hammer that they use. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I know, and you know, we listened to the series, I taught the series, I studied and researched it, that the reason why there's a whole bunch of agricultural references is because that's who he's talking to. But some may be convinced. So turn to Deuteronomy the 28th chapter. Deuteronomy 28th chapter. Now, some listening may already be familiar with the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy because this is where blessings and curses are listed. We also know that there are more curses for disobedience than blessings for obedience. But let me turn, turn your attention to the 41st verse. No, matter of fact, let me start at 38. You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in. For the locust shall come consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall anoint, you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. So, allow me to submit to you that the devourer, based on scripture, never references Satan. But the devourer in verse 11 is locust. 
So when you plant, God will keep the locusts from consuming your produce. That's what he's saying in Malachi 3.11. Take your crops, give a tithe of them like you've been instructed to. I'll make sure that it rains for you. Dude, they reside in the Middle East. Rain is not abundant. Think of geography. I mean, it's just not mystical. It's practical and very real. And he said, not only will I make sure it rains for you, but I'll also make sure that the locusts don't come right behind and eat up all your crops. In Deuteronomy 28, it says that if you're disobedient, that's exactly what will happen. So God is saying, I will hold back my, my judgment on you if you will now do what I tell you to do. That's it. That's all. Malachi, home of the tithe monster. Now, for those who are listening, you can absolutely write me. I know for a fact that everything we share today is scriptural and in context. Now, let me say this again. I, Reginald Hawkins, is not against giving. I'm a pastor. I pastor a church. I realize how important giving is. I don't even have a problem with you requiring members of your churches to give 10% of their gross income. You simply cannot teach that God requires it. You cannot teach that God will curse people that he's already set free through his son. It's not logical. It makes no sense. If you really want to be blessed, just get to know Jesus because every blessing that you need has already been given in Christ. Now, on next week, there's but one bullet left in the chamber that people like to fire about the tithe, and that's Abram's tithe because it came before the law. I will deal with it on next week. And be rest assured, just like Malachi, the tithing monster has been banished. The lights have been cut on. There is no boogeyman. We're going to deal with Abram's tithe. And I challenge everyone listening, tithe like Abram tithe. But I promise you, you don't know how he did it. But I'll show you next week. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for your grace, your love, and your forgiveness. We thank you that we are set free by the truth of who you are who is revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, who bears witness to all truth. We thank you that with this truth, God, in love that we share it, that the community, the neighborhoods, our family members will be set free in you, and that the relationship with you can be declared genuine, not by our judgments, but by receiving of your love. Now... I thank you, God, that we accept the truth and receive the freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.